Hello, this is Eugene, and today we'll be mapping nutrient void foods on the 50-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Eugene Trufkin. Eugene Trufkin was born on a biodynamic farm in Ukraine. He has a BA from the University of California, Irvine, and is a Czech Institute-trained professional. He's also the author of Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide and Laws of Aesthetics. Hi, Eugene. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi. Thank you, Andrea. Thanks for having me as a guest today. Yeah, you bet. So on the podcast, Eugene, we've talked about nutrient density, but there are actually foods that can rob the body of nutrients. And there's sometimes some controversy about this, but I'm wondering if you could start us off by explaining what you mean by nutrient void foods. Yeah. So I think like the biggest issue these days is like, for example, if a person wants to like enhance their health and they go out and they hire a registered dietitian or a nutritionist, for example, or a functional medicine nutritionist. And because of the label confusions uh, these days, it becomes like very hard to, in fact, like I would say like almost impossible to source like high quality uh, nutritious food. Hmm. So for example, let's just say the nutritionist mentions, oh, you know, among like a myriad of things you can do to improve your health, just make sure uh, you purchase like uh, free range organic eggs, which is kind of like good enough advice on the surface. But when you kind of go out and practice and try to find this product, uh, it's actually like very hard to find uh, to find very high quality products. So, for example, if a person goes to the grocery store, they see a label and it says free range organic. So mm -hmm. they purchase that product. But these days, unfortunately, like free range is kind of, uh, you know, like you have like a a huge warehouse uh, with about like 20 or 30,000 hens uh, stuck in this warehouse and free range would indicate like they have like basically a small little concrete patio where they get to roam outside X amount of hours per day. And usually if you go to any of these operations, typically what you'll find is probably like 99% of the hens just stay indoors most of the time, if not all of their life. And then like a very right. small percentage of them are actually outside. And if you kind of look at the labeling a little bit closer, you'll see they're actually telling you the truth, but in a deceitful way that it's kind of basically a factory farmed operation or a highly confined operation in the sense that if you look a little bit lower on the label, you would typically see 
uh, also vegetarian fed. So like typically uh, when you have to kind of think about hens, they're omnivores. So their, their natural diet would be composed of bugs, worms, insects, etc., etc. But when you see like vegetarian fed, it really indicates that it's like grain fed and primarily uh, corn and soy fed. And the problem with that is when you feed an omnivore a vegetarian diet, it typically, like a lot of things happen, but in short, one of the more popular topics is the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. In short, like what you're going to get is a huge bump in omega-6 in relation to omega-3. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, they're kind of telling you the truth in the sense that it's a factory farmed operation because on the one hand, how could it be free range and vegetarian fed at the same time? Yeah, if the hens were generally free range, they would be running around outside and their first go-to food source would be like bugs, insects, worms, etc. So there's no way you'd be able to classify it as a vegetarian fed product. So as you can see, they're kind of like telling you the truth, but in a, like a very deceitful way that kind of deceives the average consumer, which would typically be, for example, like watching a Netflix documentary that depicts, uh, for example, like vegetarians as uh, like a very healthy lifestyle. And they're like, well, humans are healthy being vegetarians, presumably according to these documentaries. That means these hens are very healthy being vegetarians, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's a really funny point, Eugene. I, I don't know if you've watched the Morgan Spurlock documentary, Holy Chicken. He's the Super Size Me guy, and he made a documentary called Holy Chicken, which is speaking to exactly what you're talking into, this idea that if we say the chickens are free range, it could mean they have a tiny little patio. They actually aren't bred to go outside, mm -hmm. so they don't want to go outside. They could barely walk, yep. but you're allowed to label them as free range because they've been given a two foot area that they can go outside in. Yeah, exactly. And another problem with having confined operations is typically you have three variables that happen in those operations. You have obviously the confinement, which is very stressful on the animal. Then you also have, when you do have a lot of confinement, you have a lot of fecal buildup because I don't know the average chicken poops about like four to five pounds of poop every six weeks or so. So if you have like 10,000 plus of these hens in a single confined area, and you're not rotating them on a fresh pasture, you're obviously going to get a lot of bacteria and fecal buildup. And this is going to shoot the immune system on overdrive to try to protect the organism from infections, etc., which causes a lot of inflammation. And then usually in these confined operations, you get a lot of vaccines and medicines distributed to the animal to keep them alive long enough to produce in, in a, such an unsanitary and stressful situation. Uh, and a lot of these vaccines actually cause a lot of chronic inflammation in the animals. So what right. happens when you have these three variables combined in, in one scenario is you have a lot of, uh, the liver starts shooting out a lot of serum amyloid A proteins. And some of those in a chronic state start breaking off into amyloid A proteins and forming as plaque around various organ tissues and to a smaller extent around the muscle tissue of the animal as well. And through various mice feeding studies, you can find probably 30 or 40 of these on pubmed.gov, you can see that when mice are fed meat that's tainted with AA amyloids, they also start developing plaque mm. in their organ tissue as well. And then depending on which organ tissue, the majority of this plaque builds up, or it could be systemic as well, a lot of health complications do arise in these mice. And it's kind of then predicted, although I haven't been able to find any conclusive human studies, it's predicted that this could be happening uh, to humans to an extent as well, because especially with 
poultry products, for example, it's a very popular meat product in the US. And a person could be eating this product like three times a day for decades at a time. And especially in health circles, like meat is at, or chicken in particular is advertised as like a very health, uh, healthy meat choice. So right. it could be, it's, it's something that needs to be investigated further and definitely kind of looked into. So fascinating. You know, when we think about food, I always like to think through the lens of quality, quantity, diversity, and timing. Those are four factors that we have to think through and really think through for the individual. What does this factor mean for them given where they're starting and where we want them to go or what their goals are? And we're talking about quality today and we're talking not just about nutrient void foods, but how these nutrient void foods can cause problems in the physiological system. And you brought us into a really great way of looking at that. How do we talk to our clients and patients about up-leveling their quality, the quality of their food? And also, are there people for whom, you know, we can't say quality is a factor that everybody can afford or afford to think about? How do, how do we address this? Yeah, so those are two good questions. So to answer the first one, um, I try to actually gravitate a lot of my clients away from poultry products because even at the pasture raised level, typically it's also very difficult to find an operation that actually sources organic grains at the pasture raised level. They typically do source non-organic or non-GMO grains, for example. But if you ask a little bit further, like, okay, it's non-GMO, that doesn't mean they're not grown with very dangerous synthetic biocides. Just the seed itself is not genetically modified through transgenesis, corn and soy in particular. But then you ask like a little bit deeper question, are, are your grains organic? And like 95% of the time they'll say, no, they're not organic. And then also with a lot of pasture-raised operations, you still get like quite a bit of volume per acre. And typically when you have a lot more density, obviously each hen has a lot less food to scrap from the ground. So you still have to rely heavily on grains and half of which kind of come from corrupt places like, for example, like Ukraine or Turkey. And according to a chat I had with Joel Salatin, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with him. Mm -hmm. There's like yeah. a lot of corruption at the broker level. So the grain would be grown conventionally in Ukraine and Turkey. And then kind of a, the paperwork would be changed over at the docks or at the broker level and shipped over as organic grains to these animal feeding operations to the U.S. Uh, Washington mm -hmm. Post did a really good uh, piece on this issue. For my understanding, it hasn't been really tackled successfully even to date. So even a lot of times when they're like, oh yeah, I do source organic grains, but they're from overseas, I'd kind of question that a little bit. I'd say there's a little bit more validity if they're sourced like locally and organic. And then it's still, it's still very hard to find like a very good poultry operation in the sense that 90 plus percent of the calories that the hen gets doesn't actually come from the actual grain itself. And then you have to remember a lot of these grains too are grown in monocultures, monocrops. So you're never going to get a nutritionally superior crop gr growing it in a single crop farming system. So if those nutrients aren't coming from the grain, they're definitely not going to be making it into the, into the meat and the organ tissue of the animal because you can't come up with these micronutrients from nothing. So then you're also losing those vitamins and minerals and other important micronutrients as well. 
Yeah, amazing. So, you know, when we talk about, I want to get into that second part of my question, talking about how we speak to clients. You were talking about, you know, warning them sort of off of chicken. Are there ways, let's say for myself, to source locally from farmers and what would be the best way to vet that? But also, what do we do with clients who don't have opportunities to think through this lens? Yeah, so there are a lot of great resources. There's uh, eatwild.com. If you go to the top left tab, it says uh, beet, dairy, and eggs. You can click on there and it has basically a map of the United States. You can click on any single state and it'll show you local, like legitimate pasture-raised operations. And remember, just because they're not in your state, they could be a few states away, they'll still ship to you. Pretty much 99% of them do this these days. And it's totally okay to get flash frozen products. They're probably a lot fresher than the products you see displayed fresh at the grocery store anyways, and definitely have a much higher nutritional profile. Another great resource is americangrassfed.org. If you scroll to the bottom of that website and click on the interactive map, you'll see a tremendous amount of pasture-raised operations that have actually had on-site audits. So like remember to be grass, plain grass-fed in the US, for example, you could just literally claim it. There's no on-site inspection, there's no audits, and there's a tremendous amount of fake grass-fed meat on the product. So for example, uh, one of my friends, uh, Dr. Jason Runtry, they did a, he's an agricultural researcher and they pulled like 15 different pasture-raised, marketed as grass-fed operations, did a meat analysis on these. And they found more than half of them had the nutritional profile of basically just grain-fed beef. So just to give you an example, and half would be like a good number, I'll say from practice and from observation, it's actually far more than that. It's very, very difficult to find a legitimate grass-fed supplier, but if you go through like the American Grass-Fed Association, for example, they do these on-site inspections and they do mm. uh, random audits of the of the ranches as well. So you, you have a much higher chance of getting a much more legitimate product and it's more realistic to do than actually going and working on a or volunteering on a farm for yourself. But to go back to your other question of, oh, is it too expensive? So for my calculations, like basically a USDA or 2000 calorie USDA organic diet at the grocery store level costs $12.20. And the equivalent factory farm diet with all micronutrients being equal is going to be $7.70. So there is a $5 difference, but look at it this way. The average American also spends about five dollars to $7,000 a year on medical expenses related to poor lifestyle and nutritional choices. That alone right there is more than the $4,000 a year required for the all, at least USDA organic diet you can get at the supermarket, which isn't, they have their holes and gaps in the program for sure, but it's still like a huge upgrade from just buying conventional, conventional produce or products of any kind. And also looking a little deeper, I mean, the average American spends about eight to $16,000 a year on non-essential expenses like alcohol, going out with coworkers and eating fast food for lunch every day, uh, subscription services, paid apps, et cetera, et cetera. So the money for, for the majority of cases, the money is really there, but it's just the core values aren't very aligned or not very uh, health conscious. And you have to remember that an unhealthy person can't make healthy decisions or they wouldn't be unhealthy to mm. begin with. So their core values need to change and their perspectives need to change to be able to uh, really justify that purchase. But in the majority of, sure, there are some people that definitely can't afford that $5 difference. That's definitely the case. 
But for the majority of cases, if you really nitpick their finances, you could easily find that $5 difference and they could afford it. Yeah, it really is a paradigm shift that you're presenting here. And Eugene, I love the analysis that you put into the really the cost savings and the cost effect and the the impact on the body. I have one final, I have a lot of questions for you, but one final question, Eugene, why are you so passionate? You're clearly so passionate about this. What drove that passion for you? Yeah, I don't, I don't have like some crazy mission statement. Honestly, it just started as like a project like four or five years ago. And I just wanted healthy eggs like that. My grandmother, I grew up on a biodynamic farm in Ukraine and I just was looking for eggs that were raised that way. And I thought it would be so easy to find. And four years later, I'm still looking for them, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, Eugene, because I actually can't eat eggs on any regular basis because of my own autoimmune Mm -hmm. condition and I can feel it in my joints. But when I traveled in Israel, there weren't options for breakfast that I could eat very regularly. And so I ended up eating eggs daily and I felt fine. And I came home thinking that I could continue eating eggs and I live in a bubble. I live in Portland, Oregon. You know, a lot of people have their own Mm -hmm. chickens and eggs and I could go to the farmer's market and I could buy eggs that are labeled in all the ways you're talking about, but I didn't have the same mm-hmm. results. I did start to feel that joint pain again, and it speaks to your quest with eggs. Yeah, so I that's why I try to get a lot of my clients off of like grain-based meats. Yeah. And I do find, uh, well, you got to change a lot of other stuff, as you know, as well, but I do find changing that yes. variable does aid in that in that progression. And unfortunately, because of all the labeling, it's even when your intentions are there, it's still tough to find that good sourcing. Exactly. I mean, I'm getting like cage free, pasteurized, no soy, no, like it's all these things, right? And still not the same feeling Mm -hmm. I had and I can't determine why. Eugene, any final thoughts that you wish all coaches and clinicians knew in helping our clients and patients to upgrade food quality? Yeah, just go to those websites I I listed. It really fast tracks, you know, at least the quality. I mean, it depends on which nutrition program you put every person on, but no one is going to argue that the higher the quality, the sourcing of those nutrients, the better the program will be. So at least they have that resource. And I have my book as well, but those two resources are for free and I'm just giving them away because I hope it helps people as much as it's helped me. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Eugene. Thank you, Andre. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. Thank you.